The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. If you'd like to find out more about us and how we strive to be a gospel-centered, city-focused church community, visit us at missioday.org. Scripture says this, it says, look, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. So God, I pray that you would use your words to teach us lessons about yourself and who we are in response to who you are. All right, Paul began chapter four, encouraging us. If we look back to chapter number four, verse one, we would see that Paul is is encouraging us in this second uh, section of the book of Ephesians to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called. So he's saying, you guys spent three chapters talking about this calling, then three chapters talking about who you are in Christ, now walk worthy of that. Walk worthy, put the actions to the identity, put the behaviors with the beliefs. And so he's saying, uh, do these things, and he's gone through and he's given us uh, uh, lots of details to help us unpack exactly what that means. It's a theme that he, uh, Paul, as he's writing this, has carried all throughout chapters four and five as we seek to discover and understand what it means to walk worthy of this calling that we have been called with in Christ as Christ has united us to himself. And so here in our text that we just read this morning, he's pleading with us to be careful how we walk. And he says to walk not as unwise, but as wise. And so he's saying, uh, take some time to ponder it. Be careful, be warned. Walk in a way that is wise and isn't unwise. Walking uh, is, is fun. It's funny that he uses that language. And so we see walking as something that is both intentional and directional. Right, if I get up off of my chair and I begin walking, I'm walking somewhere and I'm walking in a specific direction. I've not mastered the art yet of walking in two distinct directions, but uh, I don't know anybody that has. You have, must be some kind of uh, really disjointed uh, work of nature to be able to walk in two different directions. So there's intention. There's intentionality with direction and walking. And Paul's saying to walk as unwise in this instance, he said walk a, a number of other ways in the past, it's intentional, it's directional. He says walking is the way in which we conduct our life or the way in which we live. So he's not talking about necessarily the motion of putting one foot in front of another to get from point A to point B. He's talking about a pattern of life. Live your life like this, walk this way. Paul is saying to be careful to walk according to the new creations that Christ has made us as he's placed us within this new community of people that are like us. We've been connected, we've been united, we've been brought together all because of our union with Christ. He does not use the word run. 
He does not use the word sprint. In other places in scripture, we see run the race that is set before you. Paul here is talking about conducting your life in such a way that you are becoming who the gospel already says that you are. I would be much more satisfied with a running or a sprinting because it's, then, it's, then it's a competition and competition stirs something up in my uh, soul and in my heart that gets me excited about it. And so walking in, just walking around doesn't really do that. And so it's interesting to me. And most of us uh, are kind of wired that way where we want to get from point A to point B as fast as we possibly can. And even our maturity in Christ sometimes feels that way, right? We feel the weight of not maturing the way that the Bible, the Bible we're, we're spending this time discovering and unpacking what it means to live life as a new creation inside of this new community, but we still feel the effects of our sin. And so we feel tripped up, we feel slowed down. We say, we should be thankful people, but I find in my heart a lot of ungratefulness. I should be this type of person, but I find in my heart a lot of sinfulness, a lot of brokenness. And sometimes you and I, or at least just me, maybe I'm just talking to myself, can get so consumed with the indestination that Jesus is taking us towards that we completely miss or misunderstand God's process. The process of slowly uncovering sin in our heart. That's what we talked about, the exposure. Light brings exposure and reveals things about us that maybe were deeply hidden in our heart and we begin seeing lots of ugliness, lots of sinfulness, and that can be discouraging. But Paul's encouraging us to continue walking because the destination that he's taking you in into fully becoming who Christ has already made you to be later on in the future is a beautiful thing but the process of getting you from completely lost and dead in your sin to reflecting Jesus perfectly as one day we will in the future as he returns for us and he makes all things new is, is important too. Because the process by which he draws sin out of our life, the process by which he renews our life day by day and we see growth, we see change, is where God does his work. It's the hard times, right? The hard times are the times that shape us and form us. When life is easy, we become very easily dependent on ourselves, And life is about becoming more dependent on Jesus. And so those hard times are the times that really draw our heart and draw our affection back to Jesus because when everything's great, we don't need him. Like we wouldn't say that, but that's how we live, right? And when things are difficult, when emotions are hard, when times are rough, Man, our heart is drawn back to the heart of God and dependence on him. Here Paul tells us to walk as wise and not unwise. Then he gives us a couple of examples of what that looks like. So our big idea this morning, get it out there and we'll spend the rest of the time uh, discovering uh, some meaning behind it is this. Wisdom is living, remember walking is a way of life, the way you conduct yourself. Wisdom is living filled by God's presence within God's providence for God's purposes. Wisdom is living filled by God's presence within God's providence for God's purposes. But what does this look like? What does this look like? Thankfully, Paul goes on to elaborate. He just doesn't leave us hanging with walk as wise, but not unwise. He, he lets us in on what exactly that means. The first thing I want us to notice from our text this morning, 
uh, is, is this idea. Paul says it this way. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. In verse 16, he says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So I wanna encourage us this morning to walk in wisdom means to, to be living with an eternal perspective of time. Living with an eternal perspective of time. Have you ever, uh, in your thinking or in your meditation or in your devotional time or just at any point in your life, have you ever paused to think about the reality that you are living in a certain period of time in history, you are married to a specific person, you live in a specific neighborhood, you have a specific job, you have specific friends, you have these people around you, you have neighbors around you, you have coworkers around you, and, and, and all this is happening within this time period of, of the uh, 2000 and, 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 and year 2018, right? And so have you ever thought about all the things that are happening right now in your life inside of God's redemption plan that started at creation and will end with his return and you have been placed in this life with these circumstances, around, surrounded by these people, for what? On accident? No, inside of God's promise, inside of God's providence, according to God's promise, to accomplish God's purpose. All right, so he's placed you inside. He's gifted you uniquely. He's put you around unique people. And all that is the path of life you walk is not by accident. God has a purpose in everything that he's doing. And so living with an eternal perspective is walking as the wise, but it's not just a, a timeline, right? So much of us live life. I'm a busy person. A lot of you are busy people. And so you live life according to a timeline right? Monday through Friday, you know you've got X amount of hours to get X amount of things done, and so you book it solid, right? You book it solid, and so we work in a time. The word here for time, as he's saying, use your time wisely, is not a, a chronological timeline. It's the word kairos, which is, is a time period, and he's saying that we've given you this time period. You have this time period that you'll be alive on earth. You've been uniquely gifted. You've been uniquely wired. You've been uniquely brought into circumstances that you are having, that you may not even see the purpose behind for a purpose. All of that purpose fits into God's redemptive purpose. And so God is working a plan to redeem all things, to draw people to himself according to his providence and his plan and in his timing. Paul says to make the best use of the time because the days are evil. He's saying to redeem or to buy back the time from what is influenced by evil and influence it for God's purpose. Remember, we are a new creation. We're placed into a new community and we are placed into that new community at a particular point in time within God's redemptive plan. So because of where we sit, because of all the things that God's uniquely gifted, because of this time period, it affects how we spend our time chronologically. 
I can spend my time uh, uh, building uh, my, my business. I can spend my time building things for myself. I can spend time earning money for myself. I can spend time drawing attention to myself. I can spend time earning friends for myself. Or I can spend time making God's kingdom known through all of those things and through other means. That's what Paul's saying. The, the where you are in God's redemptive plan should affect how you spend your time. How have you considered the unique opportunities that God has given you to advance his kingdom that no one else in history has had, right? God's created you uniquely, put you around unique people, gifted you uniquely. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with these opportunities that Christ has given you to advance his kingdom, to make his name known? I've thought about this. I've thought about this, this unique place and time that God has assembled this unique group of people. And then I've also thought about in my heart and soul the amount of time that I spend just completely distracted, right? And, and as American people, we're good at being distracted, aren't we? We spend lots of hours consuming social media. We spend lots of hours being entertained. We spend lots of uh, time uh, worrying about and striving for things that ultimately have no eternal significance and are really just fleeing and fleeting, right? We spend and waste so much time that we begin working and living with a now perspective and not an eternal perspective. We don't look at how our lives fit into the redemptive plan of God. We use our lives for what satisfies us. Everything in our society is teaching us and conditioning us to live for ourselves and live for the now. And living our best life now often leaves us disconnected from the plans and the purposes of an eternal God who has an eternal plan. And so Paul's saying and encouraging us, as you're walking, walk in wisdom. Don't get distracted from living with life with an eternal perspective. What are we doing with the time that we've been given in this space uniquely to accomplish God's purposes? Second thing I want us to see in the text this morning is that we are to be living with an explicit perception of the will of God. We're to be living with an explicit perception of the will of God. When we talk about the will of God, sometimes it seems like, like the most amazing uncracked case of unsolved mysteries, doesn't it? Like, I, and, I, and, I, and I, I, get, I get into the privilege of having these kind of conversations with people all the time. Uh, I'm, I'm just really finding difficulty understanding what the will of God is for my life. And I wish I could say there was a specific age group of people that uh, that applied to more than any, but a lot of us have a lot of difficulty understanding what the will of God is. And what we mean by that usually is the, the minute details that aren't explicitly spelled out in scripture. Like, what should I do with my life? What should I marry? When is God gonna open up a door uh, for me to, to have a position in ministry because I feel he's called me to do that? What is God's will for my life, right? When, what, whom should I marry? What should I work? What house should I buy? We spend so much time worried about the details and, and something that would be God's secret will, something that he hasn't explicitly and clearly given to us in scriptures trying to understand that because we have an obsession with it, right? These conversations, uh, I have lots, like I said, I have lots of conversations and usually in the context of men wanting to know 
uh, what, what the will of God is for my life. I feel called to ministry, but God hasn't opened up a door for a particular ministry opportunity, right? And so, I, I, you know, that, that's my story for a number of years and, 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 and trying to figure out what was God uniquely gifted me to do? What was he putting together to work out in my life? And so I'm hopeful this week to post a video blog about what do I do when like the season that I'm in just feels like endless waiting? when I don't know what's next, when I can't understand the will of God, when I, I'm confused, when I'm d- discouraged, when I'm challenged, the job I want isn't opening up, the ministry that I want isn't opening up, the, uh, I'm single and I feel like I'm gonna be single for the rest of my life or I'm married and we've been trying desperately for years to have kids. What is God doing? What is God teaching me? How could this be the will of God? And so what I've learned in those seasons of waiting is that the the will of God that God hasn't given us in scriptures is mostly made clear and known when we're doing the will of God that he has given us in scriptures, right? So if I wanted to be in ministry, what was I doing? I was busy ministering to people, right? I wasn't sitting back and waiting for an opportunity to open up. I was working a job and I was telling people about Jesus and I was discipling them towards uh, being a Christian, right? And so, and put that in every aspect of your life. What God's secret will for us is often revealed in what he's already revealed. So as we're faithful and obedient to the things we know we should be doing, God begins opening up opportunities for us to discern and decipher what the specific will of God is for our life. So I want want us to get that because that hangs a lot of people up. Hangs a lot of people up. Decision-making gets extremely hard you get discouraged, you get challenged, and it's like, I want us to understand that. I want to unpack that a little bit more. Paul isn't speaking here about the will of God in regards to the things that aren't clear. He is speaking about the will of God that has already been revealed in Scripture. God has given us the entirety of the Bible to explain for us what his will is for his new creatures to creations living in this new community looks like. So he didn't just leave us hanging. You're a new creation put in a new community to accomplish a new purpose. Good luck, right? No, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He gives us the scriptures to clearly help us understand what that looks like. Paul is teaching us that wisdom is understanding what the will of God is and obeying it, and obeying it. As you plant yourself in God's word, with God's people, you'll begin to know and understand God's plan. And so often, we interpret the will of God through what is most convenient for us, right? What does God want me to do? He wants me to do all the things that I like doing. He wants me to do all the things that I I have time in my busy schedule to do. Paul instructs us to be careful to walk and be careful to understand what the will of God is. And the will of God must be interpreted through the word of God and not through what is, makes most sense in our, in our minds, right? Does that make sense? There's a, there's a, there is much difficulty and much challenge through filtering what it is that God wants us to do by what's most convenient for ourselves. Why? Because convenient robs us 
from the blessings of God's goodness because it lies to us and speaks more to our fears than it does our faith, right? When we, when we seek to be obedient to God's word according to what's comfortable and convenient for us, we walk in fear of the unknown. We walk in fear of, is, what is this gonna cost me? God, I, I, wanna be con- I wanna be obedient in this way, but I know if I'm obedient this way, it's gonna cost me this. It's gonna cost me my time. It's gonna cost me my energy. It's gonna cost me my money. If I seek to be obedient to the will of God that you've clearly articulated in scripture, I know it's gonna cost me something. And so we're confronted with, do we make the decision based out of what God has said in obedience that speaks to our faith and affirms our faith and declares our faith? Or do we make our decisions based out of what time allows me? what my budget allows me, or what I most enjoy doing. No, that's, that's, that's basing and making decisions that are rooted in fear, where obedience, doing what God says, as clearly communicated, as he has clearly communicated in scripture, is obedience, and it builds up our faith, and we're working and operating from faith when we say, yes, Lord, I will do that, not because I want to, not because it's not gonna be hard for me to do it, not because it's not gonna be challenging for me to do it. I'm gonna do that because you've instructed me to do it. And from that comes growth. From that comes life. From that comes joy. Because we begin praying prayers as if God is, is listening, our faith becomes more real. I think it's Tim Keller, I didn't quote it, I didn't write it down, so miss, don't judge me too hard if I misquote it. But he has this quote that your circumstances, your current circumstances in life are the answers to God's prayers if your prayers were, were perfectly in line with the will of God. Your circumstances are the answer to, would be the answers to your prayers if your prayers were perfectly aligned to the heart and will of God. And so we look around and we look at our circumstances and we say, man, this is hard, this is difficult, this is challenging, but we understand if we're living with an eternal perspective that even our circumstances that we find ourselves in are happening inside of the providence and will of God. And so we can look for obedience and we can find joy and we can find uh, gratitude and we can be thankful and we can, all these things can still happen in even the most difficult of circumstances because our trust is not in ourselves. Our trust is in God who controls all circumstances, right? So we see that wisdom looks like living with an eternal perspective and then living with an explicit perception of the will of God. But where does this wisdom come from? And so we see this. Wisdom comes from living with an enduring pursuit of the fullness of the Spirit of God. Living with an enduring pursuit of the fullness of the Spirit of God. How can we walk as wise and not unwise as the Apostle Paul instructs us? We do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. We do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we understand that Jesus was God in the flesh and he came to earth humbly, taking on a human body. He lived a perfect life as a human being, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to do so. 
right? And then Jesus uh, laid down that perfect life and he died and he died in our place and then he rose again in our place bringing new life for all of us who would believe in him. In that moment, he exchanged our death for his life. He exchanged our sinfulness for his righteousness. He exchanged our powerlessness to overcome sin and to overcome death for his powerfulness to overcome sin, to overcome death, and to overcome the grave. As he resurrected and as he ascended to be with the Father and to intercede for us, he left us the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful gift this is to us because the Holy Spirit empowers us to live the life that God intended us to live as his new creation within this new community redeemed by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so that becomes the source of our wisdom. That becomes the, the, the goal of our wisdom. That becomes the target of the wisdom. It becomes the cause and effect of our wisdom is fullness being filled with the Spirit of God, who is the Holy Spirit that Christ left for us so that we can grow into being the person that God has created and redeemed us to be. Paul instructs us in verse 18. He says, do not get drunk with wine. Do not get drunk with wine. He says it's debauchery. And the debauchery is the same word that is used in Luke 15, uh, describing the prodigal son as living a reckless life. At the heart of it, Paul uses this as an example of wastefulness. Right? So he said, redeem the time. He said, use your time uh, to, to not, because the days are evil. He says, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So he's saying, and then he comes in and he says, do not be filled with wine because it's debauchery. It's wastefulness. It's reckless. Drunkenness is wastefulness. Wastefulness is sinfulness. It's the opposite of wisdom and it prohibits us to live with an eternal perspective and from understanding God's will and from being filled with the Spirit. So Paul's not using this as an abstention uh, from alcohol completely. He's not saying uh, drink to your fill. He's saying don't live a life of drunkenness because drunkenness is wastefulness. And if you live a life of drunkenness, you will be unable to redeem the time. You'll be unable to understand what the will of God is and you'll be unable to be filled with the spirit. But he goes on, he says in verse 18, he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. This is in present imperative form. This means it doesn't describe uh, just a one-time uh, event, but regular, rather a regular pattern of living. Believers have a consistent need for a continual filling of the Holy Spirit. And so in this phrase, be not filled, we see both the traits of a person who is filled by the Spirit, because we know that when Christ saved us, when Christ redeemed us, he gave us the Holy Spirit, 
right? And so we, we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. We've been given the Holy Spirit. And now he's saying uh, to be filled with the Spirit. And so we see both the traits of a person filled by the Spirit as well as the means by which a believer pursues of life of becoming more aware and living according to the fullness of the Spirit that you've already been given. Does that make sense? You have been given the Spirit and you are commanded by Paul to continue being filled with the Spirit so that you have an awareness of just how full of the Holy Spirit you were when Christ left you with the Holy Spirit. So it becomes both a cause and effect, right? As we engage in these things, Paul describes here that we'll get to in just a moment, we are reminded of who we are in Christ how full we are of the Spirit of God, and they become the cause of our awareness of spirit fooling and the effect of one who is spirit-filled, right? So he gives us, what does this look like? What does it look like to live a life that is filled by the Spirit of God? He goes on to teach us in verse 19, verse 20, and verse 21 what that looks like. First, it looks like living a life full of spiritual communication. Living a life full of spiritual communication, right? He says uh, in verse 19, addressing, so speaking one another, speaking with one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and then he goes singing, making melody in to the Lord with your heart. And so we see that speaking to each other in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs both points people to Jesus and draws our heart to worship him as well. So this should become a regular pattern of our life. Man, my heart is full and gets filled to overflowing on the weeks where we don't have a full band, where it's not so loud I can't hear you sing because my heart is energized and, and built up by being able to hear, even as we've already heard this morning, the voices, the beautiful voices of God's saints crying out and singing out and speaking these psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's good for my soul, it builds me up. But this shouldn't just be a Sunday thing. It should be a thing that is a regular pattern of our life. As we're filled by the Spirit, our lives should reflect people that are full of spiritual communication. If we wanna seek to understand and be more aware of what all we have given to us by the Holy Spirit, we should be a people who speak with spiritual communication, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs to each other. We see that in that, praising God, in our difficult circumstances, praising God in our good circumstances has a way of lifting us out of our circumstances to be able to see God for who he is and be able to see what God is doing. That lack of spiritual communication does not give us the opportunity to do. Do you talk about God in a worshipful way to yourselves and to others? Are you a person that's marked by spiritual communication or does your communication often tend towards things that are less spiritual? I know my mind does. We talk about a lot of things and the truthful reality is that we love, we find joy in, we find identity and sometimes we find salvation in the things that we talk about the most because those are the delights of our life, the affections of our hearts. And when Christ is the delight of our life and the true affection of our heart, we talk about him. 
We talk about him. We talk to other people about him. We talk to him. We talk about him. He brings joy to our lives. He brings enrichment to our soul. So how do you talk? How does how you talk affect the way that you worship your God? How does how you talk about God affect the way that you worship God? Secondly, we see here, Practicing a life of spirit fullness looks like living a life full of humble gratitude. Full of humble gratitude. And so we've, we've hit this several weeks. It becomes a theme in, in the book of Ephesians, so I won't dig in and belabor this point. But I do wanna say this. Thanksgiving allows us to see the goodness of God in all things. It equips us to endure difficult seasons without becoming defeated because we know God is good. It allows us to celebrate the good seasons without building up selfish pride because we know God is good. And as we express God's goodness back to him, something beautiful happens. I get to relive the goodness of God in my life as I go to him again and thank him for the ways that he's been good even in difficult circumstances, even in good circumstances. It keeps me humble, it keeps me uh, dependent, it keeps me respectful and reverent because I'm bringing all of my concerns and I'm thanking him, not for the death that happened, but because of the spirit uh, healing that happened in my heart as a result of the difficult circumstance, right? Because there's not anybody in here that says, man, I wanna thank God for all the horrible things that happened in my life. But we do and can and should, and Paul's encouraging us to, as we're full of the Spirit, to give thanks for the goodness of God in all of the circumstances, because they all point us towards our need of him, towards his ability to do anything, and towards his goodness. And we're reminded of that as we're living a life of gratitude. And then he says, live a life full of reverent submission. Live a life full of reverent submission. Paul's getting ready to lay out what submission looks like in specific relationships, but he also includes it in this explanation of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Because being filled with the Spirit enables us to submit to one another. Because of our submission to and reverence for Christ. Right? So in, in, in the context of, of a husband and wife, I'm never going to be able to love my wife the way that Paul instructs us and Christ demands I love my life absent of being filled with the Spirit. Right? She's never going to be able to submit to her husband as the leader of her home absent of the Spirit of God. And so Paul says, I've given you the spirit. I've filled you with the spirit. I want you to become aware of it. I want you to walk it out. And one aspect of walking that out is learning to humble yourself and live in reverent submission. We all have authority in our life and that's what Paul's introducing is there's, there's authority in life that demands our submission to one another in different realms, right? And then he's gonna go on the next uh, the next three times that we're together, we're gonna talk through what some of those particular um, areas of submission are. Submission is difficult for us. It goes against our flesh because if we're truthful and vulnerable, all of us have some authority issues, 
There's something inside of me that rejects authority and I don't wanna be tied down, I don't wanna be bogged down. And so when God says to submit to something, the, back, the hair on the back of my neck stands up. Like I get a little excited and agitated. That's why I need the spirit to be able to allow me and be able to, because of Christ's submission to the Father, coming to earth, dying in place of my sin, buying my victory, buying my freedom, now I'm free to submit to those that he has placed in my life as authority figures. And as we walk out these relationships, according to God's plans, God's purposes, we put on display the glory of God, and we ultimately find joy in a life lived in submission and reverent to Christ. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying that wisdom looks like living with an eternal perspective, not getting bogged down and so obsessed with the now that you can't see the beautiful redemptive plan that he's painting in all of history, right? And then understanding the will of God, not some supernatural crazy thing where you're waiting for the voice of God to tell you what job you should take or what wife you should marry or, or what ministry position or role you should take, but understanding what God has written down in his word as this is my will, be obedient to it. And as we're obedient to that, God will begin revealing the specifics that we so strongly desire. But he's saying, don't be unwise. Don't spend life in pursuit of something you don't know when you're rejectful of things that you do know. Live life doing the things you know to do because I've declared you to do it and then live a life full of the spirit.